say shift. shift. I've been feeling this word in my spirit like never before. That word shift, I believe that we are shifting as a church, as a family, as a church community into new levels. I, I shared with you last week, I took my daughter to go look for a car. And she was seeing all these little fast and furious cars. And she was like, oh, this one's cool. And I want this one. I want that one. And, and we'd walk up to the car. And when she looked in the window and realized that it was a stick shift, she was like, oh, I can't drive that one. So she would move on and she'd be all bummed. When you don't know how to shift, it limits your opportunities and options. If you don't know how to shift in life from a single person to a married person, you're not going to be married very long. If you don't have the ability to shift from one season in your life to another, you're going to struggle in your life. And I need you to understand that shifting is vital. I don't know if you've ever climbed up in the mountains while you're driving a, a car or even a 10-speed or a mountain bike, but they have shifts on there to help you navigate certain levels. And if you're trying to go from one level to another level in the wrong gear, you will either burn out the, end, burn out the, the transmission or it will take more effort on your part in order to get to that next level. And if you notice that automatic cars, that when you're driving up a hill, it'll shift. And you could feel it shift without you having to do anything. It just shifts. Some of you are automatics. You have the ability in your spirit to just shift. You know when to shift. You've done it so many times that when you come to a mountain in your life, you just shift into another gear. And you're able to climb those mountains without any problem. You have the ability to get to new levels and it just shifts. When you shift into a lower gear, what happens is, is that you find yourself at a lower gear. You're not going as fast, but you have the ability still to climb. Come on, somebody. And, and what you were using on the freeway, and you were flying at 85, 75 miles an hour and, and driving with no problem, you can't stay in that same gear while you're trying to climb. You got to downshift. You got to prepare yourself to build up some momentum. Some of you are, are struggling in your marriage right now, and you need to understand you got to downshift. You got to prepare yourself to get into a gear that lets you know I'm in this for the long haul. Say it again, Pastor. I'm in this for the long haul. When you're trying to break an addiction, you can't try to drive down the freeway. you got to recognize you're on a climb. I'm trying to get to another level. Somebody's got to hear me this morning. And if you're ready to shift, if you're ready to get to another level, you have to prepare yourself to know the seasons of shift. I want you to stand to your feet as we read in the Word this morning. And as you're standing, I want you to recognize what the definition of shift is so we're all on the same page, all right? I want you to understand, first of all, that a shift means to move from one place to another, to change positions, to make a change, change gears, or, or even a work shift, changing a work schedule. And how many of you know that, that shifts are vital to growth? You know, if you're married, how many of you know that before, while you're dating, you recognize, okay, this, this relationship's ready to go to another level? And you shift from dating to fiancé. And then from a fiancé, you shift into a marriage mode. And so you got to recognize those shifts in life. you got to recognize when those changes come. And I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. How many of you know that this world has shifted quite a bit? How many of you here are... Oh, man, this is going to be tough. Let, let me... How many are 50 or older? Amen. Say amen like you're proud of it. Amen. If you can still talk, if you don't need a respirator. I mean, 
If you are 50 and over, say amen like you mean it. Amen. All right. How many of you know if you're 50 or over, there's, thing, there's some things that have changed over the years, right? Remotes on television wasn't something we had when we were younger. Having 120-something channels wasn't something, or 500 channels, it wasn't normal. We had the little clicker. We had UHF, VHF. We had the rabbit ears that were going on that we were trying to make things happen. You didn't have iPods. You didn't have little, little, little things and earbuds and all this stuff. You had the earphones. You had the Walkman. There, things were different then. You didn't, you, there was no such thing as bottled water in our day. You didn't have Starbucks on every corner. You, in those days, you drank, yeah, in those days, sweetheart, you drank out of the hose. She's looking, what, no bottled water? What, what did you do? How did you make it? We played outside in those days. You came home when the street light went on. That's what we knew growing up. Nowadays, things have changed. It's dangerous. You can't do that. Don't drink out of the faucet water. It's just as dangerous as playing outside when the sun goes, goes down. But as much as things has changed, I want you to re recognize what's remained the same is God. God does not change. Hebrews 13.8 says, reads as follows, Jesus is the same. Somebody say same. same. In other words, it doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. Pray with me now. Father, help in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to encourage you right now that God doesn't change. And what doesn't change regarding God? First of all, God's love for you doesn't change. Somebody say God's love. God's love. How many are grateful for that? Amen. Oh, come on. No, 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 no. Some of y'all are just sitting here just looking at me. But y'all, some of you have done some things that would have eliminated you from any other relationship. But the fact that God's love is so great, God still loves you because God is love, not because you deserve it. So if you know and you're grateful for the love of God, someone give God a shout of praise this morning. That's what I'm talking about. The power of God doesn't change. Not only does God's love not change, the power of God doesn't change. So if God did it in the Old Testament, did it in the New Testament, he can do it today as well. Oh, no, no, you ain't hearing me. That if he could part a Red Sea, he can get me through my situation. If he could get Peter to walk on water, there is no circumstance I can't walk through. If he could raise Lazarus from the dead, there's no situation that I can't be resurrected from. Somebody got to give God praise for his power. He saved you. He raised you. Helped you do the impossible. Multiplied that piece of bread that you had and you had no other way to feed the family. God prepared and he, he was your provider. But you know what the thing that I want to talk to you this morning, most importantly, is God's purpose hasn't changed. Say it again, Pastor. God's purpose hasn't changed. We get excited about the love, get excited about the power, but we don't have a clue about the purpose. That's why y'all are staring at me when I said purpose. Because we don't live for purpose any longer. We live for survival. We live to get by. That's why churches across America aren't making different, making an impact anymore because of the fact the people that are part of those churches, not here, people that are part of those churches, again, not here, I'm talking other churches in, in, around the area, you figure them out, 
are, are they're, they're, they're struggling so much with their own issues, they don't have time to impact anyone else. I'm biting my lips so I don't say what I'm thinking. But I want you to understand that in the midst of the shifts that we go through in life, it's imperative that you and I do not compromise our purpose. Jesus didn't compromise his purpose, and we can't compromise ours. you got to recognize why you were created, the purpose by which God created you, why you're here on this earth. And the church has experienced a shift. And what I mean by that, not all the shifts that the church has gone through over the years has, has been positive. We have shifted from relationships to events. And instead of discipling people and transforming them to live like Christ, what we've done is we've kept you so busy you don't have time to sin. Robert, so good to see you, bro. Really good to see you, man. I, I, I'm, I'm, I want you to cap. Why do we have something going on on Monday, something on Tuesday, something on Wednesday, something on Thursday, something on Friday, something on Saturday? Because we want to keep you out of the club on Friday, try to keep you sober on Saturday so you can come to church on Sunday and then get you back to work on Monday. We're always trying to keep people busy. <laughs> people... We're trying to, you know, if you're going to clap, clap. This is CWC. If you're going to clap, clap like you mean it this morning. Amen. We try to keep people so busy so that way we don't have to disciple you. I'll just get you away from the places of sin. And that's why churches don't grow. Because we have taken people away from their sinner friends. That they don't have any impact on the world anymore. That's why we're not changing education. We're not changing politics. We're not changing the society. And we're not changing the world around us. Because we've isolated ourselves and created our own subculture called Christianity. And we no longer have influence on a society we're trying to change. You can't change a society you have no influence over. Jesus said that we were to make disciples of all nations. And so this morning, we're, we're going to talk about a shift. The church has experienced a shift, and it's not always a good one. Two, two, last week, I shared with you four shifts, but this week, I want to kind of just remind you. Last week, I talked to you about leadership. Everyone say leadership. We're talking about a shift from our leadership, from our leaders ministering to our leaders equipping. The book of Ephesians chapter 5 says, and he gave some to be prophets, or apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the, for the equipping of the saints. We were to equip. That word uh, equip means to set a bone. It means to mend a net. It's to take a broken bone and put it back in place so that it heals properly. For the perfecting of the saints, that word per perfect, how many know there's no perfect church or perfect people? Right? Oh, come on, church. How many know there's no perfect people or perfect churches, right? And so what, what's, G, what, what's Paul talking about when he says for the perfecting of the saints? What he's talking about is making sure that word perfect doesn't mean without, without any fault. It means lacking nothing. 
That means that you have everything you need. Listen very closely. That we as pastors, as leaders, we are equipping you. We are placing your bones back in order again so that you are now have everything you need to heal your marriage, to restore your finances, to get free from that addiction, to set your mind free, to set your family free, to raise your family, and to affect per change in your community. You have everything you need. It is not my job to fix your marriage. It's to give you the tools so that you can put it back together yourself you think I'm here to counsel and restore and put all that stuff together for you I'm not a miracle worker some of your marriages are jacked up oh come on some of your families are messed up right what, I'm, what we're supposed to do is give you the, the setting to, to equip, to put those things back in order so that you can now go and put those things together. You know how many husbands I've sat down with and I've told them how to treat their wife? But I'm the one talking about it. But if the husband doesn't do it, it's never going to change. Let's go on. That was last week. Second is priority shift. Our priorities have to change. By by the time this service is over, it's going to be a major indictment on me. This message isn't for you. It's for me. But you still have to stay and listen. We have to shift from events to relationships. As churches, we have become so event-driven that we've forgotten about relationships. I'm not talking just a relationship with one another. I'm talking about a relationship with God. Because many of you know church, but you don't know God. Oh, you know how to do church. In fact, God has been gone from some of our church services, but you know how to do church. You you, you know what to wear. You know what to come with. You you know when you're going to cry. You got your tissue ready to go. You even practice in front of the mirror your cry. I want to see how I look, make sure I don't look too bad while I'm, you, got, you go get that waterproof mascara so, you know, things don't run and so forth. It, you, you, we, 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 we know how to do church, but we have yet to figure out how to know God. And if we go back to the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis, there's no choirs, there's no church, no pews, there's no offering. Everything is about God walking with man. Fellowship. And as soon as man broke away from God, the first thing man does is they hide from God. Think about it. When you're not right with God, what do you do? We hide. And then what we do is we do what Adam and Eve did. For the ladies. We cover ourselves. What did they take according to the Bible? What did they take? They took fig leaves and they covered themselves. Why? Because man has always used creation to cover their shame. That was amazing, Pastor. That, that was just, that you're just an amazing teacher. You just bless my heart right now. I just want to say thank you for giving me that revelation. I always wondered why I always ran to alcohol, ran to drugs, ran to women, ran to relationships, why I always going to cigarettes, going to weed, going to all these things to cover my pain and my shame. Now I understand why. Thank you.
You're welcome. You're, you're very welcome. I appreciate that. We use things, man-made things. We use creation to cover up our pain, our shame. What was Jesus' purpose? What do you think God or Jesus' purpose was? Why did he come to earth? Okay, everyone's scared to answer. <laughs> Troy, you were here for service. What was that? Relationship? Relationship with who? With who? So Jesus' purpose was a relationship with God. With who? With man. Let, let's, let's take a look at this, okay? Let, let's look at John chapter 12, verse 27. If you're taking notes, which you should, because you've got to go back and read these things later on, all right? Look at John chapter 12, verse 27. Now my soul, Jesus is about to go to the cross. My soul is deeply troubled. This is Jesus talking. And many of us think that just because we know God, we're never going to go through a tough time in life. We're never going to have times of depression, never times of struggle. Jesus, the Son of God, is at a point right now where he's telling his Father, my heart is deeply troubled. You've got to learn how to be honest with God. And you can only be honest with God when you have a relationship with him. Many of us are afraid to talk to God and to tell God how we're feeling because we're afraid we're going to offend him. Why? Because you have no relationship with him. Religion does that. Religion says, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Your wife left you. The kids don't like you. The dog peed on you. And yet, I'm blessed. Well, pastor, that's faith. No, it's not faith. It's fake. But I want you to also notice this is that he says, my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray? Now he's asking God a question. He has, enough, he has enough of a relationship with his father to ask him a question. We're afraid to ask questions. Only question we ever ask is this, why? Why did this happen to me? Why did I have to go through this? Why did you give me him? Why did you give me her? Why do I have these kids? Why do I have this job? Why, do I, why am I going through this? And we keep on asking why instead of Jesus like he should. What should I do? What, God? Not why, God. And he says, should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? In other words, let, let this cup pass for me. I, if there's any other way than me going to the cross, is there a way? Let that go. And then he says this, but this is the very, the very, another version says the very purpose that I came. This is why I'm here, is to give my life to buy my people back again. That God loves you so much that he, he went through all this to bring you back to him. Oh, somebody got to catch this right now. You got to be feeling. So what your, your purpose keeps you on point. Your purpose keeps you focused. So in Jesus' troubled time, instead of walking away, he knew that there were people that were valuable enough to him, not just way back then, but right now, today, in 2015, that needed his love, needed his grace, needed his power, needed his purpose, that he stayed the course. Why? Because purpose keeps you on point. You know, let, 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 I'm going to get off track here a little bit in, in this. You go to 1 John. You don't have to turn there. 1 John chapter 3. It says this, that if you love God, you'll keep his commandments. 
But that it's the love of God, the, the love that we have for God that causes us to, to uh, fulfill his commandments. But the then it says this, the commandments of God are not burdensome. This is how I know whether you have a relationship with God or you're involved in religion. Because when you read the, the, the commandments of God, if you feel, oh, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to give? Why do I have to go to church? Why do I have to pray? Why do I got to read my word? Why do I got to be loving? Why do I got to be understanding? Why, why do I got to show, show love, joy, peace, long-suffering? Why do I got to do these things? Man. Tired of singing at church. Don't even want to sing anymore. I want to go to church. You know how, what I know, the difference between that person and the person that's, man, I can't wait to get to church and worship my God. I'm so excited about giving. I'm so excited about knowing. I'm so excited about hearing. I'm so excited about getting together with the body of Christ. The difference is one word, love. Because the, the commandments of God are not burdensome. They don't hold me back. They don't hold me down. When I married my wife, I wasn't like, oh, shoot, man. Now I can't sleep with any other woman. Oh, man. Do you take Angie to be your lawfully wedded wife? <sighs> yeah, I guess so. <sighs> Are you kidding? It was like, Heck yeah. I get to be with this. I get to get with her. She's going to be part of my life forever. So it's love. It's not when, when you get married, I can't, oh, I can't be with anyone else. I get to be with her. It's love that, per, per, that pushes it. it lo, it's love that births it. And if you find yourself, oh, man, I can't sin anymore. I can't go do this anymore. It, you're, you're serving God out of a religious experience rather than a relational one. Yeah. Jesus' priority was simply this. It's you. Someone should be giving God praise about right now. Thank you, all three of you. You, even for those of you that didn't, it didn't move, it didn't strike a chord with you, you're still his priority. Whether you clapped or not, you're still his priority. Whether you responded or not, you are still his priority. Whether you love him or not, you are still his priority. Look, look at Matthew. We, we got we to gotta specialize in what Jesus specialized in. Look at what the last words of a person are usually the most important. Look what Jesus tells us. Matthew chapter 8, 28, verse 18. You still with me this morning? Yeah. Okay. I want you to notice something. Jesus came and told his disciples. Notice he didn't tell everyone else. He was talking to those that follow him. So if you're a follower of Christ, this is for you. I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. And I shared this before. You've heard this before from other people as well. If you have all the cake... How much of the cake do I have? So when Jesus says, I have all authority, how much authority does Satan have? Some of y'all are empowering Satan way too much. Some of you are empowering... Verse 19, therefore, because I have all authority, 
already said that. Next one, the red one. Red one. Go. Come on, say it with me. Because I have all authority, therefore, God has given us a command. And yet we're sitting here inviting people to church instead of going to where the people are. Come to my church, come to my event, come to my, my, my gathering, come to this, and we're fly, passing out flyers. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. We, we want to include, we want to invite, we want to reach out. But it's time for us to recognize as a church that if people are God's priority, what are we doing sitting around just getting our service on, getting our bless on, getting our soak on, getting our touch on, getting our prophecy on, and missing out on being a blessing to people around us? Go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Well, I just want a church of Hispanic folk. Dr. King said that 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings is the most segregated time in America's history. Because you got the black worshiping together, you got the white worshiping together, you got the Hispanic worshiping together, the Samoan and the Tonga worshiping. Is that the, are we going to have like the black section in heaven? The Asian section in heaven, like a supermarket that you're going to walk down an aisle and, okay, this is, where the, oh, this is where all the Hispanics are hanging out this week. <laughs> we get to heaven, it's all about family. Every race, every color, every nation. And that's the way the church should look as well. It should look like a rainbow of people that are coming from different backgrounds, colors, societies. We are family. Well, it doesn't matter who you are. We're all one people. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach. Somebody say teach. teach. These new disciples do obey all the commandments. There's that word obey again. I have given to you, and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. Now, I want you to understand something. How many of you know people that are in need? Okay, now, I'll, just by hands up, until how many know someone broke? How many know someone sick? How many know someone addicted? How many know someone that is, uh, that, that is uh, bitter? Okay. How, how many, it's all the same person. <laughs> yeah, that's him. <laughs> listen, listen very carefully as we're, we're going to close in, in a second, but stay with me. There, there are so many people in this world that have a need. So many people in this world with a need, there's no reason for the church to ever be empty. And if it is, that means that we're not sharing with people what the need is. We're investing so much time into our jobs, into our, our 401ks, and we're over there doing all these things that aren't going to mean a thing in heaven. When Jesus left, he says, behold, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. When he left, before he left, how many days did it take God to create the world? Six days. Seventh day he rested. It took him six days to create everything we see here. He's been gone for 2,000 years preparing heaven. He describes it as streets of gold. Now, now follow me on this. Streets of gold. What we kill ourselves for here on earth is going to be pavement in heaven. What you will fight for and dig for and work hard for, neglect your family for, leave your kids, divorce. What you'll fight for and go to court for is going to be pavement in heaven. Yeah. 
Why? Because the glory of God is going to be the most valuable thing in heaven. It's not going to be about money. It's not going to be about possessions. It's going to be about the presence of God. <clears throat> so I have a question for you, and this is where we close. In fact, Thea, if you can help me out. In fact, the worship team, if you can take your places this morning. I want to ask you a question, church. For those of you that are believers, those of you that know Christ, those of you that, are just, that don't know Christ and maybe you're just peeking in, we thank you for being here this morning. And we're, we're, we're gonna, we got a question for you in a, in a few as well. But I want, want to ask you a question. For those of you that have been coming to church for a season, you've known God for a while, how many of you know that heaven is a real place? <clears throat> no, no, I, I, I want to know, do you really believe that heaven is a real place? Where the presence of God is 24-7, that we're going to be there, and, and all, that, that God is going to come back for us. We're going to be in a place called heaven, that, that God, the presence of God, streets of gold, pearly gates, all these things, the, the crystal sea, that there is a place called heaven where we will never die, a place of glory, a place where God dwells. How many believe that that place is real? Okay, some of you. If heaven is real, then how many of you know that there is a place also called hell? Yes. And that hell is real as well. The Bible describes it as the place where the worm dieth not. The place where you will burn forever. And you know, I tell, I tell you this, as bad as hell is, I believe that the worst part about hell isn't going to be the, the, the sulfur, the burning and so forth. I believe the greatest thing about hell, the most punishing thing about hell is going to be the separation from the presence of God. Because right now, every one of us, no matter what we go through, and no matter how bad things might be, we always feel a sense of the presence of God there. There's always a peace. There's always a presence. It doesn't matter whether you're good or bad or indifferent. The presence of God is always around. But hell, it's going to be a separated place where God's going to separate himself. That's going to be hell. That the very body that was created by God, that breath of God gave him life, that from the very God that created mankind, that creation is going to be separated from God completely. That's what's going to make it hell. And yet, we live like hell doesn't exist. We live based off our philosophies, not the word of God. And I love what T.D. Jake says, America is going to be judged, we judge America uh, in our court system based off the Bill of Rights, but when you get to heaven, God's not going to judge you on the Bill of Rights. He's going to judge you on the word. And regardless of what we say in America is acceptable, will not be acceptable in God's eyes. You cannot live your life based on what the United States of America says. You have to live your life based on the word of God. Now, now we're stepping on toes. People are like, wait a minute, Pastor. You were making me laugh a little while. Go back to being the funny guy. If we really believed heaven was real, we would do everything in our power to get our family there. Our friends there. If you really believe hell was real, you would do everything to keep your family and your friends out of there. Oh, come on, somebody. You got to hear me this morning. People matter to God. Now, I, I want you to do me a favor. Everyone here, everyone here, do me a favor now. Stand to your feet, okay? Every single one of you. 
I told Pastor Matt I was afraid to do this. But I need you to see what I'm talking about here. I want you to sit down right now. If you were born at CWC, what I mean by that, your parents literally had you when you were here. Okay? So that means you you can't be more than 16 years old because we're 15 years old. Okay? Sit down. All right. I want you to sit down if you were saved, if you came to know Christ at Christian Worship Center. This is where you accepted the Lord. This is where you've been discipled. This is the place. This is where you got you accepted the Lord, right where you are. Sit down, okay? Look around. I love those that were born here. But this was the birthing room for you. This was the hospital that you were born into. This was the, 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 the prenatal care where you came, the delivery room. This CWC was that delivery room for you. This is where you were birthed into the kingdom. But that tells me that churches grow three ways. They grow biologically where people have children. Now, I'll tell you what, great job for a lot of our parents because y'all are, you're, you're busy. Y'all are, <laughs> heck, some of y'all took it seriously when it said, you know, be fruitful and replenish the earth. Because some of y'all are making our church bigger by the moment. And uh, listen, seriously, thank you. Because we got to keep this church young. We got to get ready for the next generation, all right? Secondly, it's those that are converted here. They accept Christ here. The third type of growth comes from transfer growth. I love every one of you. I'm glad that you're here this morning. But I want you to look around and see that we have work to do. Because Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Not take people from other churches. And just transfer and say, we're growing because, well, we pulled some family from here. We pulled a family from there. We got a couple families. I'm grateful that you're here. Don't get me wrong. But now that we're here, let's start opening up the birthing room again. Let's start opening up the delivery room of the hospital again. Let's get back because there's family members, there's friends that need Christ right now. I want you right now, if you were led to the Lord because of an event, you came to church because of an event, raise your hand. You accepted the Lord because of an event. Lift your hand. One, two, three, four, five. Um, praise God. So that those events came to an event and you ended up getting a Billy Graham crusade or something like that. You, you got that, that is awesome. I thank God for events. They're great. But now check this out. How many of you accepted the Lord because a friend or a family member invited you? See that? There are people that need you to be the person that led you. That makes sense? There are people that need you to be the person that led you. They need your testimony. They need you to get your, get, get your things together. And listen, even if you're struggling, it doesn't mean you still can't share the word with them. We think we have to have our lives perfect before we could win people to the Lord. It's in our imperfection that God shows off. 
There's some people, some, you know what, I, I came back to San Jose because I thought we could plant a church in San Jose on the east side where I was born and raised. And I thought, you know, we're going to be able to reach people because I, I got a lot of people I know, people I, I knew in San Jose. Do you realize I probably have one person at this church that knew me when? Because none of them would come to the church because they knew me when. Just being honest with you. And I'm shocked the one is here. And I'm, I'm grateful that you're here too. I mean, I'm blessed, but I'm shocked. I'm here to tell you sim- simply this. It's time to get back to recognizing every one of us is a minister. And we've been called to win people and bring them into the kingdom. It's no longer business as usual. We're going uphill. We're shifting. Oh, come on, somebody. We're shifting right now. All right? It's not about us getting to heaven. It's about bringing some people with us right now. It's about emptying hell and filling heaven. It's about emptying hell and filling heaven. It's about snatching lives out of death, out of drugs, out of addiction, out of divorce, and bringing them into a relationship and giving them the hope of God. I need you to understand that there's someone in this house that needs you to lead them to Jesus. What if, what if that person at work that you've been afraid to talk to gets saved and then their family gets saved and then your job gets saved? What if, what if that principal gets saved and all of a sudden the whole school starts transforming? I can't share that at work. Why not? That's who we are. It's not what I do. Being a Christian isn't what I do. It's who I am. It's time to stop separating. You know what? If the other agendas out there can stand boldly and declare who they are, it's about time that the church of God begin to start opening their mouth and declaring who we are as well. And who are we? We're about love. It's not about putting anyone down. It's about sharing the love of God. We're not going to change people by shoving a Bible down their throat. But it's expressing the love of God. When You know, check this out. Jesus wasn't about event. He wasn't about crusades. It's a woman with the issue of blood that touches him. Bam. Relationship. Woman at the well. He's having a conversation with her. The whole city is saved as a result. Woman that's about to be stoned, he protects her. He tells her, hey, go and sin no more. Jesus was about relationship. You know the great thing about relationship? Some of you are waiting. Oh, man, it's been a tough week. Can't wait for Sunday. Been a tough week. Can't wait for Wednesday. But when I have a relationship with God, I don't have to wait for Sunday. I have to wait for Wednesday. I got the presence of God right here. I don't have to wait for prayer time. I got the presence of God right now. It's time to know a relationship with God. Young people, get to know a relationship with God. Mom and dad, get to know not a religion. Get to know a relationship with God. God wants to know you even more than you want to know him. Oh, come on, lift your hands all over this place right now. Lord, let me be guilty of having a relationship with you today. Don't need an event. Everything else is out of control, God. You are still in control. 
I know you. I know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. Come on.